share the reading of uh, Scripture since she's going to be reading basically uh, the Lord's Prayer. And uh, we would ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes as if you are praying it as she reads it from the way Jesus said it in the Sermon on the Mount. Our scripture today is from Matthew 6, 9-13. Pray then in this way, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Well, we could have just had uh, Eliza read that and then hear the prayer that uh, Sylvia led with the kids, and I could have just sent you home. It was so good. Uh, I, I want to welcome personally uh, those of you who are uh, have kids in the ECC. Uh, my daughter Hannah is now 28, and uh, my son Nick is 25, and they came through here. Uh, their first teacher was Miss Diane, and she was amazing, and. Uh, that meant a lot to us. The, the ECC had a lot to do with the Barnetts joining Brookwood, and actually it was Miss uh, Sylvia's husband, who uh, was an OBGYN. Uh, our son, Nick, was born here two weeks after we moved here. It was so peaceful a time uh, for us. <laughs> but really, Frank Page had a huge role in our being here. What are you saying there? Is this on? Is it on? Oh, please pardon me. Uh, yeah, you're right. How's that? Better? Okay. I've been here 25 years and still things. Okay. So we continue here with uh, the prayer that we pray together, living the Lord's Prayer. And today we talk about forgive our debts. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment, but let me talk about Van Morris, who's a friend. He's a pastor in Mount Washington, Kentucky, and he tells of a married couple in his church whom he knew, and they had had a quarrel. <laughs> and instead of forgiving each other, they decided to give each other the silent treatment, and this mute argument went on for a week. And then the husband realized that he needed his wife's help with something because he was a deep sleeper, and he needed her help uh, because the next morning he needed to get up at 5 a.m. because he needed to get on a plane and get to Chicago for a business meeting. 
But he was not going to break the silence. He wasn't going to, he was going to win that competition. So he decided to take a piece of paper and write the words, wake me up at 5 a.m. and put it on her side of the bed. And then he went to bed. And he woke up the next morning around 8.15. He missed the plane. He was furious. He could not believe it. His wife had already left. And he was getting his phone to call her and say he couldn't believe. He was just going to blast her and say, you know, can't believe you failed me in that way. And then he looked over on his side of the bed and there was a piece of paper there. And he went over and picked it up and in her writing, it said, it's 5 a.m., wake up. <laughs> I'd love to know who actually won that, but anyway, I think she already did. So let's talk about the better way of forgiveness. So in his prayer, Jesus goes from talking about our daily bread to our dealing with sin. So he goes from our physical need to our spiritual need. He goes from what we need daily as far as bread goes, as food goes, and then he goes on to our daily need for forgiveness and also our need to forgive others. And we need both. And again, what's been amazing about this prayer as we have studied it is how every word is vital. And again, we're going to see that again today. So I'm going to focus again like we've been doing just on some key words. First of all, we go to forgive us our debts. Forgive us our debts. Now, we're a Baptist church, but we've got a lot of people from different traditions, different denominations, many non-denominations, just, which is great. It's a great mix, a great gumbo of people, which is great. But have you ever been in a church that you were not familiar with and you didn't know when you got to this part of the prayer? You know what I'm going to say? You know, is, do they say trespass, you know, forgive us our trespasses or forgive us what? Our debts. And, and you didn't know what the custom was at that church. Any of y'all ever do that? And you weren't sure what to do. You might have said, and forgive us our, and you just remained silent. Or you might have just kind of mumbled it. You know, you didn't know whether to say trespass or debts and, and forgive us our debts or something like that. And, and, you know, it can be awkward to say in that kind of a setting, but in any setting, it can be even more awkward to face up to it and to put it into practice. Now, to clarify, trespass is not the word that Matthew uses in his Sermon on the Mount account. Matthew, who was a what? What did he do for a living? Anybody know? Tax collector. He was a businessman. And he uses a business word here that refers to something in a financial sense, and something that you owe to someone. So no doubt, the best translation of that Greek word is debts. You understand why he used that word. He was a businessman. Something that's owed to someone. That's really what the word is. It's a debt. So being in serious debt is never fun. Uh, to be deep in debt was even worse in Jesus' day than it is today. Usury, which you might know about, it's when people would you know, loan money to people, but then jack up the, uh, uh, you know, just the amount to, to give back. And uh, it was outrageous interest rates, this kind of thing. And the bad thing was when you could not pay the debt, you really had to go into inv involuntary servitude is what they called it. You become a slave because you can't pay 
the words, the uh, work back. And then the Jewish zealots, when they seized the Jerusalem temple during their war against Rome, the first thing they did was to burn the records of debt because they were so furious about how the Romans had placed so terrible, terrible, how would you say it? They would just, again, it was debts that they would use to put people into slavery. That's what they did, and they were just furious about that. It ruined so many lives. So the word for sins here really means debts. And then there's the word for forgiveness, which means a, a release. Release from an obligation. It's to cancel, to remit, to pardon the loan. So when we're forgiven by a guilt that we did before God Almighty, it's like being freed from the burden of a debt that can never be paid back. There's no way we can do it. It's a liberation that we do not deserve. And that's the strangeness and the wonder of grace, what we call in Christianity grace. It's so uncommon. There's nothing like it in any other religion. Ravi Zacharias shared a conversation that he had with a young Muslim Palestinian who was still trying to decide if he was a Muslim or a Christian. And I'm just going to read this account with this conversation that Ravi had with this young man. He said, we were sitting in a coffee shop in Jerusalem, and he spoke in soft tones. He mentioned to me that he had observed a conversation between a leading Muslim sheik and a Christian missionary named Brother Andrew. The sheik had recently ordered the killing of eight Israelis because the Israelis had killed four Palestinians whom they had accused of crimes against the Jewish people. Brother Andrew asked the sheik, who appointed you judge and jury and gave you the authority to or order such killings? The sheik replied, I am not the judge and jury. I am merely an instrument of God's justice. There was a moment of silence, and then Brother Andrew asked, what place is there then for forgiveness? And the sheik replied, forgiveness is only for those who deserve it. Only for those who deserve it. And this young man said to Ravi, I thought at once this explains everything. If forgiveness is deserved, then it's not really forgiveness, is it? He, saw, he said, I saw two completely different worldviews at work, both with a common starting point about God, but with radically different views of God. At this moment, I now realize that grace is real and needed. And he became a Christian. He understood grace and forgiveness at that point. Okay, the next words. Forgive us our debts. Us, our debts. Once again, this petition does not say forgive me of my debts. It's forgive us our debts. Now, as followers of Jesus, we bring not just our own individual sins. We are also voicing our failings of the church, our failings of causing division, hypocrisy, pettiness, slander, and the list can go on. More than once, I've been in multiple churches, I'd say two anyway, and these were years ago, thanks be to God, but I've heard people say in church, you know, God can forgive him, but we don't have to. Really? These are church-going people. Uh, Ken Witten is a friend of mine. He's a pastor in Tampa, Florida, he says that the refusal to forgive 
sets off a chain reaction of four key events, all of which are negative. So what happens when we refuse to forgive someone? Number one, it disgraces our Heavenly Father. As a dad, if my kids don't give, uh, get along with each other and they don't, don't forgive one another, that becomes an embarrassment for me as a father. Think about the Heavenly Father. Secondly, it discourages the church. If we don't set that good example, that becomes discouraging within the body of Christ if we don't forgive one another. Thirdly, and, and this one concerns me the most in today's world, it disgusts the lost. When they fail to see forgiveness in the church, those outside the church doubt the validity of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the reality of God's forgiveness. That one concerns me a lot these days. And fourthly, it delights the devil. If he could get Christians fighting among themselves, then he has a victory. And Ken Witten concludes by saying, a church may run out of parking spaces, sanctuary seats, or even money, but may it never be said that a church ran out of forgiveness and grace. Two more words. As we forgive... We forgive. Colossians 3.13 says, Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. Now, most often, we got to be honest, forgiveness is a process. Sometimes it can happen all at once, and it's instant. doesn't always happen that way. Most times, I think we have to continue to forgive someone, especially those who have hurt us the most. And Jesus knows that it's a process. Do you remember Peter went up to him and said, well, how many times do we have to forgive someone? Seven times, which was traditional in Jewish society at that time. He says seven, and Jesus said no. What did he say? You know, 70 what? Times seven, you know that. Again, it's a process. We have to work toward that, because especially with someone who has harmed us so deeply. But let me offer a thought here. When we at least begin to forgive others, we learn how much it costs God to forgive us. Unless we experience the pain of forgiving others who have wounded us, we cannot grasp the suffering of Jesus on the cross. Let me look at it from another angle. What if God forgave us as generously as I forgive others? That's scary. What if God held grudges the way sometimes I do, you do? What if he retaliated in a way that I might want to? Would I even survive? Would any of us survive? I like the way Charles Spurgeon, that great 19th 19th century uh, London pastor, said, let us go to Calvary to learn how how we may be forgiven and then linger there to learn how to forgive. And as we linger there at the cross, we realize just how unconditional Christ's love is and how unconditional his forgiveness is. And we need to strive to to be the same way. Be the same way and show that same kind of love and forgiveness, especially with those who have done us wrong. I'm going to share something that I shared probably about four years ago, something that Randall O'Brien Uh, talked about. Randall spoke here, I think it was two years ago at Freedom Sunday, which we celebrate close to July 4th, and at that time he was uh, president of uh, Carson Newman College, right? Where's Jim Giffen? Yeah, he's a Carson Newman eagle, okay. 
Uh, before that, he was provost at uh, Baylor University. So wonderful man, brilliant, and a wonderful storyteller and preacher. And he was preaching a sermon one Sunday. He had been invited to a church, and he was preaching on forgiveness. And he noticed a man who was sitting out there who just was hanging on every word. You know, just sitting, you know, up at the edge of the pew, and, and just he just saw this guy was soaking it all up. And as soon as he finished and he was back there greeting people, this guy came up and said, Well, you're just like all the other preachers, just like every one of them. You know, you're answering questions that no one is asking. And he said, Well, what's the question you would want to ask? And he said, This is the question I want you to answer. Do I have to forgive him if he doesn't repent? Talk about some guy he knew. Do I have to forgive him if he doesn't repent? And Randall said, well, that's a good question to think about. That's a good thing to think about, but let me, let me give you the, the deeper question, the more vital question, which is this. Can he repent if I don't forgive? Can he repent if I don't forgive? He said, what are you talking about? He said, I'm talking about the cross. Who repented when Jesus was on the cross? Did anybody? Did the mob? No. Did the soldiers? No. What about the cowardly disciples? Did they? No. Did the Sanhedrin? No. Did all the Romans out there? No. Nobody did. Nobody repented, and yet Jesus forgave anyway. He forgave anyway. He said, what did he say? He cried out, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he said, Randall said to the guy, Sir, we're standing here redeemed by Jesus on the cross because of that unconditional love and forgiveness that he gave to us. You know, he forgave us before we even existed. You know, who knows? Your friend who did you wrong just might be broken one day. Now, does that always happen? No. But it could. But we should remember that Jesus first forgave us. And Randall said the guy just kind of walked off and wasn't really sure what to do with that. Let me put it this way. Contrary to popular view, forgiveness precedes repentance. Repentance is the result of God's forgiveness, not the cause of it. God does not love us and forgive us because we repent. Rather, we repent because God loves us and forgives us. That's why Paul said, for God shows us his love, that while we were yet, what, sinners, Christ died for us. He forgave us. Again, before we even existed, that's mind-bending. But that's how unconditional it is. John said what? We love because he first what? Loved us. First loved us. And that also means we forgive because he first forgave us. Now, do you remember the linchpin phrase of this whole prayer that kind of holds it all together? It's in verse 10. On earth as it is in heaven. We're called to bring down here what is already going on in heaven, which must be incredible. You know, we received our forgiveness from heaven, and now we need to take that to others on earth as it already is in heaven. And it's something that's totally undeserved for us. Totally undeserved. 
And yet, you know, we're going to be standing there before the holy God of the entire universe and beyond. And yet Jesus will be standing there again, just as he just as he was hanging on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them. He'll be standing by us then and say, Father, let him in, let her in. Incredible. Think about how great heaven is going to be. Just read the first part of Revelation 21. I mean, my gosh, no more death, no more pain, no more illness, no more loneliness, no more guilt, no more sin. No more transgression and no debt. You know, we've been set free of all of that. Can we not offer just a taste of what is already going on there to people here who need to know about that? Who desperately need to know about that? Can we take that to people? I want you to bow your heads for just a moment. And first of all, I want you to, as a discipline of prayer, ask for God's forgiveness for something you know you need to be forgiven of, and just trust that He will forgive you, has already forgiven you. The, real, the key is for you to receive it, realize it, and accept it. So will you Take just a moment and ask for God's forgiveness for something you need to ask for. And then the more difficult one. Ask God to help you to forgive someone for whom it is so difficult for you to forgive. It could be someone in your family, someone you know well, someone who was a stranger and who harmed you, someone who betrayed you, violated you, did you wrong, swindled you, embarrassed you whatever it might be, who comes to the service? Who comes to the surface? And it's a difficult, difficult petition to ask for. But take just a moment, if you would, and ask God to help you to forgive that person, even if it's just a first step of that process that might take a while. Take a moment and just silently Ask him to help you to forgive. Almighty God, it's difficult to ask that you help us forgive someone. It's a wonderful gift to realize we're forgiven. And we're so grateful for that, but the hard part is the latter of the two, to try, to try to forgive. May we remember Jesus on the cross, doing that for everyone, including ourselves. Help us to follow his way, 
challenging as it is, that others who do not know him will see we have something worth asking about, knowing about, giving their lives to. We pray these things in your name. Amen.